Um, I'm a movie buff from way back. And uh, the 19, I, I love the 1990 movie Crazy People. And it's billed as a comedy about truth and advertising. And its premise is that you've got to be crazy to want to be honest in the advertising business. And it tells the story of an advertising executive played by Dudley Moore who burns out and checks into a mental hospital to recover. But he's still under pressure to continue working. So he invites his fellow patients to come up with ads for various consumer items. Now, unrestrained by the slick, slick thought processes that uh, advertising executives have, they come up with ads based on truth. The oxymoron of honest advertising. And one of them, which is most rememberable from the film, was for Volvos, you know, those cars. Going against the trend of using sex to sell cars, it simply says, buy Volvos. They're boxy, but they're good. And uh, they came up one for, for a cigarette brand that said, cancer probably, but taste definitely. And one for a... Um, in, in, in the late 80s, uh, there was a, an American airline that had a couple of crashes uh, where people survived. And so they, they, they made up an ad for that particular uh, airline company that said, afraid of flying? Don't be. Most of our people get where they're going alive. <laughs> That's a good one. And despite initial resistance, of course, uh, it, they take off and it becomes a phenomenon. But sadly, of course, that's Hollywood, right? And we know that people will embellish and stretch the truth to sell us things. People will lie. In fact, we need to be protected in law against fake, false advertising, and there are very strict legal guidelines over what is and isn't false advertising. And in my humble opinion, the boundaries are pushed all the time. We also live in a world where people struggle with truth-telling on a personal level, struggle with integrity and being honest. And like in Jesus' day, they will resort to employing all sorts of oaths and flowery language, and yes, even religious language to sound like they can be trusted. These days we call it spin-doctoring. In Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, he says that people in the kingdom of heaven are to live a different way. They are to be honest and trustworthy, faithful and dependable. Those of us who follow uh, Jesus are to live with our hearts in our mouth, not because we're nervous about being caught out, but because we have a courageous integrity in our words in a world of hype and insincerity. And in the ethos section of the proposal to join together and become one, it states that we aspire to truly understand, embody, and proclaim uh, good news about the kingdom of God. And to help us fulfill that aspiration this year, we're working our way through Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. The series is called A 2020 Vision of the Kingdom of Heaven, the manifesto, mission, mean, meaning, and means of the much-awaited kingdom of heaven. 
And uh, we've started that journey by uh, going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he articulates what it means to be a disciple of his and a citizen of God's kingdom. And today we're looking at the idea of honesty. Because honesty and integrity are at the heart of both our Christian theology and faith and practice. It's at the core of our understanding of God. Because you see, God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God can be trusted to do what God says God will do. Our God is dependable. And we see it time and time again in Scripture. In fact, the whole of Scripture is the story of God's faithfulness. God promises Abraham that he will bless him and make him a great nation. And that happens. God promises that he will bring his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and establish them in the land. And God does that. And God is faithful to his covenant with Israel down through history, despite their unfaithfulness. And God promised that if his people continually disobeyed him, that he would, he would um, correct them. And he would remove them from the land. And in the exile to Babylon, he does just that. But being true to his word, he brings them back 70 years later and establishes them again in the land. God promises to send a Messiah, to send a king like David, and he does it as he sends Jesus Christ. And he promises to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people, and we see that at Pentecost. And Jesus promises to be with us till the end of the age. And we can know that he is faithful and he keeps his promise. God is dependable and true. And honesty is also at the core of our salvation because being honest about our spiritual position is the starting point of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says that if we say we, we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. There's that honesty of God thing again. And will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That self-honesty is the starting point of spiritual growth and change when we know we need God's help in our lives. And the Sermon on the Mount starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's when we know that we are spiritually poor and impoverished that we turn to God and we experience uh, Him, His kingdom. And honesty is central to human relationships. It's central to our societies. Our societies need to have this honesty and reliability to, to survive. And it's essential for the Christian community because we can only become a community of love if we can trust one another. If we can't do that, then it falls to bits. So let's explore what Jesus says here. Again, you've heard it said that uh, to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Now, unlike the other case studies and examples in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't referring to just one statute in the Mosaic law. 
but he's covering a series of sections in the law of Moses, including the, the passage that we had read out from Leviticus today, to do with making vows and swearing oaths. Because you see, honest and honesty and integrity, consistency between our words and actions is at the heart of the Mosaic law. He, the fourth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness against a neighbor. It's a call for honesty. The second commandment is also important here. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always grown up, and, and my parent, my mum always told me that that mainly had to do with using God's name as an expletive. Uh, and, you know, there is an element to this. But in Israel, it was also very much that if you invoked the Lord's name when making a vow and didn't keep it, then you were using the Lord's name in vain. It was a dishonor to God's name if you were not honoring what you said you would do. And the religious people of Jesus' day, in an attempt to make these commandments more observable and usable, had changed the focus from people's integrity to focus what is a binding formula and what isn't. They were more interested in out clauses and fine print and loopholes than in fine intentions. They focused on the structure of the words used, not the state of the heart behind them. They were firm that if you made a vow, uh, a false vow in the Lord's name, that that was wrong. But if it didn't relate to God's name, it wasn't binding, that there were loopholes, that you could renege. Maybe you could even pull a swifty or be downright dishonest. And this is where Jesus begins to challenge what they were doing. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you can't make even one hair white or black. And Jesus shows that this splitting of hairs over what is and isn't binding is futile. He says it's not just God's name that you need to worry about because whatever you swear by can be taken back to relate to God because God is the creator of everything and God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. God is in and over all things. In Isaiah 66 verse 1 that Jesus is quoting from, the promise talks of heaven being God's throne and the earth being his footstool. It has to do with the rule and the reign of God. So when you swear by those things, it still goes back to God. They belong to God. Jerusalem was the city that was set aside for the worship of God, and it was to be the focus point of the kingdom of heaven, God's reign. You couldn't get away from the fact that it was related to God. Its importance and significance had to do with God. And in fact, Jerusalem is a good example of how far the religious leaders had got in their discussion of what was and wasn't binding. Because you see, some argued that it, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't binding if you swore by Jerusalem. It was only binding when you turned towards Jerusalem and you made your oath that way. Talk about needing a moral compass. Again, the passage points to the underlying attitude we should have, that heart attitude, that we should be peoples whose words can be trusted. In a legal setting, 
or in our everyday relationships. The other... Oh, I've... Excuse me. Oh, there we go. I've jumped. I've jumped. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know that cuts the sermon down. (laughs) And even by your own head or your own life. What good is it, says Jesus, because let's face it, we don't, do not have control over what color our hair is, okay? Despite what the ads tell us, even the best hair dyes grow out, right? Right, ladies? And I don't know about you, but, but I can't seem to do anything about my hair, and my hair is having a race between turning gray and falling out. But at least it's still competitive. Yeah. No, this is, this is my natural color, yeah. But our lives and times are ultimately in God's hands. And it's ridiculous, says Jesus, because when you think about it, it all relates back to God. They had missed the point. It was about a heart attitude. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Be the kind of people, says Jesus, who when you say yes, people know you mean yes. And when you say No, they know you mean no, that's right. You might be more used to the saying, and I remember it from my dad all the time, say what you mean and mean what you say. You can have all sorts of language to try and make you sound honest and trustworthy. But unless you are, it's window dressing. It's like a flash exterior over a rotting framework. Or as Jesus will say of the Pharisees later on in Matthew's Gospel, it's like whitewashing tombstones. They look good, but they still have to do with death. And says Jesus, lies come from the evil one. Now historically, one of the outworkings of this passage has been that various Christian groups, mainly Anabaptists and Quakers, have seen it as a prohibition against swearing any kind of public oath. So they've refused public office and refused to swear in court cases or make affidavits. And while you can admire their desire to be obedient to Jesus' teaching, it's not the thrust of the passage. In Genesis 9, we find God actually makes a vow not to flood the world again, and he makes that vow on his own name. At Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, Jesus is put on oath to say whether or not he is the Messiah, and Jesus answers truthfully. It is as you say it is. And again, the passage points to the underlying attitude we should have, that we should be people whose word can be trusted, both in legal settings, as I said before, or in our everyday relationships. The other area it has historically had an impact is in Christian liturgy. It's why churches do not have oaths as part of their services. At baptism and weddings, people are simply invited to respond, I do, to the vows that they are making. It's about personal integrity. As N.T. Wright points out, Jesus' teaching on oaths here is significant as it follows on from his teaching on divorce. That faithfulness to a covenant relationship is important. And it reflects the covenant relationship between God and humanity. We are to be people who are faithful to our word. And at work, boy, we're often faced with real challenges about that because that's where the rubber hits the road when we deal with other people. 
A friend of mine tells the story of the impact he was able to have at work simply by keeping confidences. If people said, can I trust you with this? And he said, yes, they knew that they could trust him with that. And uh, he did not participate in office gossip that was rife in his workplace. And he said suddenly people would come to him when they needed help because they knew that he could be trusted both to help them and to keep it to himself. And when the company set up someone to be a counsellor in their workplace, they came to him because of his high moral integrity, his Christian faith. Another friend of mine is a car mechanic, and he used to work for a company, and he said, you know, I have to uh, look at the bills before they get sent out from the office because my boss has a tendency to overcharge for the hours of labor that he charges. So I go in and I look to make sure that the hours that I am billed out are honest for people who come in and use our garage. And I know that probably puts them in conflict with the owner of the garage. But it's about his personal integrity. Uh, And of course, uh, people who are involved in sales must find it really challenging to be loyal both to their products and their employees and also to be truthful about the things that they sell. For students, there's a challenge of honesty as well, particularly with the pressure to do well and to achieve and the availability of information on the internet, particularly in a cut-and-paste world where you can just cut something and paste it. Now, when I was a university chaplain, I did a paper just to see what life was like at Auckland University for students, and I had to hand my assignments in electronically through a program called Turn It In, okay? That searches the script of what is written to check for plagiarism. And I was relieved when the program didn't pick up anything in my assignments. I think there was 2%, and I'm going, what's 2%? I don't get it. Um, But all the hours of scrupulously attributing ideas and quotes paid off. And Bible commentator Scott McKnight talks of the upsurge of such cheating, even at the Christian college that he teaches at. Even though people know of the electronic safeguards the university has in place. You know, in our workplace, in our study life, in those relationships with other people, we need to keep our integrity and our honesty because it's a reflection of the nature of the God whom we worship. We do also need to be aware that being honest and dependable doesn't simply mean also that we, we be blunt and in your face. You know, I've, I've spotted your, your problems and your faults and here they are. A, B, C, D, you know. Uh, yeah, you, you know what I mean? You, you, you speak too long. Your command of the English language isn't that great. You don't do it the way I want you to do it. Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus about how we are to grow into maturity and the fullness of Christ, warns his readers about deceitful, self-motivated talk and encourages them and us to speak the truth with love. You know, not only to to speak truth, but to speak it in a way that is love. To have at our heart a care for truth and desiring that the other person be built up and encouraged. And Jesus gives us some sage advice as well when it comes to talking about truth. 
he suggests we examine the log in our own eye before we try and remove the speck from our neighbours. And I don't know, I've found that very often the things that annoy me about somebody else that I really want to sort of talk to them about and be honest about, I also think, man, there's some stuff in my own life that's exactly like that. And I've got to deal with it, to be honest. An old missionary told me about being involved in revivals in East Africa. And that the African Christians talked about the importance of living in a house without a roof and without walls. And that wasn't just because there was a shortage of building material. They believed to live the Christian life was to be transparent, hiding nothing away from God or from each other, to be honest about everything, confessing their sins and faults. They wanted to have that level of integrity so that the words they spoke to God and to each other were real and true. And when they spoke of God and God's salvation, people would understand because their words were reliable. And the open roof and the open walls illustrates what Jesus is saying about the integrity behind our words. To just say yes and no honestly. Honestly, just to say yes and no. Honestly. Let's pray. Father God, we we know the pain and the hurt that false words can have and false intentions. And Lord, we also know just that we have a faithful and a dependable God who is always true. And you call us as your people, people who would live in your kingdom, to have an honesty and integrity that reflects your own. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. You would help us to to do that. We would pray that if there is any crooked or wrong way within us, that you would reveal it to us, that we might confess it to you with assurance that you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are known that our yes means yes and our no means no. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good thing about